as you're turning to Exodus chapter 19, um, you know, this week we're actually going to go into the Ten Commandments. And I was noticing this morning as I sat in the youth group room on the wall, there's the, a list of the Ten Commandments. And, you know, recently in our country, the last uh, couple of decades, there's been these little wars going on around our country about where the Ten Commandments can and cannot be listed. In fact, back in even 2015, uh, back in Oklahoma, uh, there was uh, a judge who commanded that the Ten Commandments be taken down from in front of the courthouse uh, there, um, or the state, the state uh, uh, building, I believe it was. But it was, it was taken down from a, a, a public place a state-run place. And so as you hear those things, I imagine that the, the, the majority of the congregation in here would be like, that's, that's not good. I mean, these are the Ten Commandments. This is what it is. And, and maybe that's cropping up in you this morning. Like, how dare they take it down? Uh, but let me ask you, with that comes up in you, and, and, you know, I love the Ten Commandments. It, sh- it should be up. I want to see them because it's God's word. Last, let me ask you if, you, if you are revolting against that, let me ask you real quick. Can you tell me what the Ten Commandments are? Let's just take a quick test this morning. So what are the Ten Commandments? First one is, shall not have no other God before me. Second one is, it looks like we need to post them up all over. We don't know what they are. And that's kind of my point this morning is like we get really in a huff about them. And yet we don't even know what they are. Um, The second one is, thou shalt have no graven image. The third one is, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth one is, you shall observe the Sabbath day. The fifth one is that you should honor your mother and father. The uh, sixth one is, uh, let's see, see, even I have trouble. Even I have trouble. Uh, The sixth one is, I believe you should not murder. Did I get that one right? Uh, Seventh one is, you should not commit adultery. Eighth one is, you should not steal. The ninth one is... You should not bear false witness. And the tenth one is that you should not covet. I think I got them all. Anybody in the word right now can see that? Okay. So there it is. Even, even I struggled. I had, I had to prepare for that this morning to, to get those in the right order. And, and, and here's something that, that we have adore. God's word, the Ten Commandments. If you ask anybody in the world what's in the Bible, even non-Christians would probably say Ten Commandments. Or maybe they'd say John 3.16 because they've seen it at football games. And, and, and there it is. And yet when we look at the Ten Commandments, usually what it means is, well, we, now we've got the commandments, follow them, right? Here's the law, follow them. But let's go into the scriptures this morning and look at what God was doing in giving the Ten Commandments. What was the purpose of them and why did he do that? As we're following the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, there are people that have been delivered from slavery. They've been watching the grace of God protecting them, bringing them out and his power in defeating the enemy and now providing for them. And yet oftentimes in their stubbornness, they have um, been complaining and grumbling against the Lord. But here we go, and, and this is Exodus chapter 19. I'm, I'm going to read at verse 5. He's talking about how he's brought them out like an eagle carrying its young child on its wings. He's bringing them to himself. And it says in verse 5 of chapter 19, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So the Lord says, hey, I'm going to give you instructions. If you listen to my voice and you keep this covenant, which is a fancy way of saying this relationship that we're setting down. Then you're going to be my treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. You will be a kingdom of priests. You'll be my representatives and you'll be a holy nation. I will I will remove sin from you. 
And this is what's going to happen. You know what all the people said when after this, when God says, here's here's what you need to do. They all said, we're going to do that. In the verses after this, they say, we will do that. You give us the rules and we'll do them. And so now we get to chapter 20, and this is where we'll go next. Chapter 20, God begins to give the Ten Commandments. So let's run through what those commandments were. In verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first thing is that there's only one God. You shouldn't play around with any other gods. And this was a little bit of a foreign concept to them because most of the structures of religions back in that day when they believed in a deity is that there wasn't just one, but there was a pantheon of gods. They somehow assembled and there was a bunch of them. So what he's saying is, no, there's only one. And we know that to be the Father, Son, Spirit. But even with that, Jesus said all the time, the Father and I are one. Okay, there's one God and you shouldn't fool around with all these other gods that the Egyptians or the Canaanites or anybody else might try to get you to believe in. And there's only one God. There can't be any others. So let's just settle that here and now. Only one God. The next one, verse four says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the second one is you shouldn't make an image, you shouldn't make an idol. This is not only for saying, hey, here's this God over here like Baal or Ra, and I'm going to make a picture of them and bow down to them and offer them food. But also God did not want for himself to have people make an image of him. They didn't want to conceive some type of artwork by which they could put it before people and say, that is Yahweh, that is God. And so bow down to that image. God is saying, no, you won't make an image for me either. Later on, they're actually going to get in trouble for something like that. And so even today, there are people who will say, I believe in God, but there's all these relics of God. This is maybe a splinter from Peter's cross or something like that. And they'll actually worship those articles. God says, don't do it. Shouldn't worship any of those. When there was an image, he came in the flesh. His name was Jesus. He was the image of the invisible God. Colossians chapter one tells us. So God says here, don't even make an idol for me. Okay. verse seven goes on and takes the next one. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So if I say that one, when you say don't take the Lord's name in vain, usually people say, well, that means not to curse. Don't say GD or. C or whatever, you know, I don't even want to say them. And that is true because it's a flippant way of using it. It's 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 using his name wrongly and just just carelessly in different ways. But there's more to this than that. This is also a legal document, which is also saying don't make a promise in God's name and then don't do it. That's taking his name in vain. So don't say, I swear to God that I'm going to do this for you. And then not do it. Why? That's saying that God's a liar. He was co-signing on that document with you. And then you you blew the deal. And that's making him look. Don't do it. That also means this in this day and age. When you say I'm a Christian and then you don't live for Christ, even though you didn't say and take the Lord's name in vain, you are actually using the Lord's name in vain because you don't look anything like Christ. That is also using the Lord's name in vain. Now, some of you will say, well, I never curse or take the Lord's name in vain. I hear a lot of times this word, this phrase, Lord, have mercy. 
and for no reason at all. You fumble and drop Tupperware on the ground. Lord have mercy. Why? It was Tupperware. Tupperware doesn't need mercy. So we, we oftentimes just kind of carelessly use God's name. And God says, my name is not to be used carelessly. It is powerful. And I'm, I'm going to allow you to even know it. I'm going to allow you to call upon my name, but don't use it for something that's weak. Don't get careless with my name. And so that, that all goes into using the Lord's name in vain. Then verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is actually a real gift. Jesus says that later, that uh, man was not made for the Sabbath day, but the Sabbath day for man. That God would say, one day a week, just stop. Interrupt what you're doing every day, because within those pauses, I want you to reconnect with me. I want you to reconnect with what's going on in your family and establish that there is a priority in life. That's why God, even though he's God after seven or six days of creating, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested so that he could commune with his creation. And that's still what he gives us is the opportunity to take a rest, take a break. And so in a lot of communities, it used to be that there weren't things open on Sunday. I don't know why the Sabbath was on Saturday. It wasn't following the law, but I wouldn't say that you shouldn't do that. Because I think it is important for God to come to his people and say, I know you need a break. And so I still think it's good to recommend to people, take a Sabbath break. And maybe you can't take a Saturday. I know I can't take a Sunday. I take Tuesdays. You know, I try to set aside 24 hours where it's not the normal thing. It's just set apart for what else. And it is such a gift. It has been such a gift to be able to do that. And I would encourage that for you. And, and so God puts it in here as a gift to the people. Hey, even for the sojourners and your servants, don't make them work on that day. Everybody needs this. Everybody needs it. Take a little break um, so that you can reconnect and, and refresh. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, this one doesn't say just obey your father and mother. That's part of honoring them. But part of honoring your father and mother is to obey and respect. Now, this is set up within the law. So there is the thing of they are leading you in this covenant. They're going to lead you in how God wants you to be and growing you in the faith. So honor them. And that way they're taking you towards Jesus. Okay. And, and we need to give them honor as we even read out of Titus today that we are to submit to the authorities. That includes parents. Okay, that, that includes praying for them. That includes honoring them. Hudson kids. Even at, even at my age, there's a certain way that I need to approach my parents. You know, they're not going to ground me. They're not giving me a curfew. But the way, do I, the way that I speak to them on the phone, the way, the way that I um, receive gifts from them, um, those sorts of things, I should be praying for them. That's the way to honor my father and my mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Anybody want to admit to this right now? Uh, this, it says murder, and we immediately get, you know, the idea of somebody on death row who's, you know, done the stabbing or whatever. But this actually takes into account the word that's used here isn't just for an intentional homicide. Um, it's also for accidental death. 
It's also for instances where people are just careless. And so what God is saying is don't be careless with life. Respect what he has done in putting part of him into individuals next to you and care for them. That includes little kids that cannot care for themselves in the womb. That, care, that includes the elderly who can no longer take care for a life because God's in them. That includes the husband or the wife that you're married to and the way in which you speak to them because Jesus said murder isn't just that you would take action upon it, but it what's, it's what starts in your heart. So if you hate that person you're already committing murder it goes so much deeper than just saying don't stab them respect that god has given them life and love them that's really where it's taking it to it goes on in verse 14 oh does anybody need to admit to that one now okay verse 15 you uh excuse me uh, 14 you shall not commit adultery okay that even goes a lot bigger than um sleeping around okay that jesus said it's not just what you do with your body it's what's going on in your heart that lust starts there, that the, th- the, 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 the thing begins there where you're actually cheating. And so because we're not about that, we're not going to do it. He says, do not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Any questions on that one? I'm just going to leave it because that's what it says. Do not steal, do not steal. So don't take things that aren't yours. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So... This commonly is referred to as don't don't lie. Tell the truth. And especially in a law situation, this is setting up in a way their legal government. So when you come to testify under oath, don't say something false because you may be taking somebody who's innocent and putting them in prison. You may be taking somebody who's guilty and not letting them have consequences that might actually help correct them. And so make sure that you're not lying against your neighbor. Verse 17 you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or his high definition television or his truck or that's not right in there. But really, is it, it, it is, as it says, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, the word covet here is interesting because the literal meaning of it is to lift your eyes. It had already said, don't steal. So if I tell myself, well, I wouldn't go through the action of stealing my neighbor's truck. I wouldn't go through the action of stealing uh, my neighbor's wife. I wouldn't go through that action. But in my heart, if I could just lift my eyes and kind of glimpse it and desire that, that's okay. And the Lord says, no, don't even let that start. You, there's the action, but there's also the intent. So don't ever get to the intent of saying, what's not mine? I want it to be mine because that'll get you into trouble. It's not yours. It's theirs. So just leave it as is it. Uh, sin and the action starts with the temptation in the heart. And so the Lord is already kind of building that in. All right, so there's the Ten Commandments. They're kind of fleshed out a little bit. And as you can see, we always have them kind of bullet pointed. It seems simple, but when you really get, there's a lot to them. And guess what, friends? That's only 10. If you keep reading through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there was hundreds of laws that the Israelites were given. How were they ever to keep them all? They couldn't even keep 10. So God is giving this law. Let's look what happens next in verse 18. It says, now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, because that's where they were gathering was at Mount Sinai. The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear. 
for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So right after they get that, they say to Moses, Moses, we see the lightning, the thunder, everything going on there in that mountain. If you would do us a favor and if you would actually go talk to God and then bring his word back to us, because we're afraid. We see that up there. We are afraid of his glory. We are afraid of his holiness and his presence. We're afraid of his voice. And Moses says something that's interesting. He says, don't fear. But fear him. Well, which is it? Don't fear, but fear him. It's a both thing. But it's how you rightly fear the Lord. So let me tell you the way that the Lord doesn't want you to fear him. Now, God gave these commandments and we get into this issue of of thinking, if I don't live up to these commandments, then the Lord's going to hate me. I've talked to many, even in this church, who have said, I don't think I've earned God's love. I don't think I've done enough to make him to love me. Some of some people have said, I don't know if I'm going to make it to heaven because I don't know if I've been good enough. What that is, is basically saying, I am scared that he does not love me. I'm scared that I'm not worthy to be in his presence. I'm scared that I'm not worthy to hear his voice. And truly, we're not worthy on our own. We really are not. We look at these 10 things and we've probably broken many of them. And so who are we to stand before a holy God? Yet God's intent is not to smash us into the ground. So the question is, well, why did he give the Ten Commandments? Why did he give these things? He gave these things to reveal to us how desperate we are for his grace. And to realize our fear needs to be that he's the only one that can save us. In Galatians chapter 3, it tells us, if it's not about following this law and making him love us, then what was the law for? Why, why did he give Ten Commandments if he knew we couldn't keep and be perfect? And in order to be, uh, uh, in order to be with him, we needed to be perfect. If we're just going to fail, then, then why go through? Why, why do we have this law? And Galatians really goes after that because in the church, people were starting to say, yeah, I've been saved by Jesus, but I still need to be circumcised. I still have to do all these things in the law in order for God to love me and for order for me to be saved. And, and Paul and them are saying, no, that's not what... That's not what Jesus was about. That's not what God, even in the Old Testament, was about. Well, why then the law? Why did he give the law? And then why do we also say we should follow what God tells us to do? In verse 23 of Galatians chapter 3, it says this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Talking about Jesus. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through through what? Faith. Faith. So what he says is this, that is that the law came to put people in prison. To show them how wicked they are, and it was a guardian, if you could think of a babysitter, the law was babysitting you and ushering you saying to you, you can't do it on your own, so let me escort you, let me take you to the place where you can find salvation because you can't do it on your own. I just want you to know that. 
Now that you know you can't do that on your own, let me introduce you to somebody who can. His name is Jesus. And because he went and did what you couldn't do, he went and died for you on the cross. If you have faith in that, if you just say, I believe, if you trust that he has died for your sin, then what he does is he takes all of his love, he takes all of his grace, he takes all of his mercy, and he goes, here, and he throws it on you, and you are now dressed in the purity of God. You are drenched and dripping in his grace and his mercy and his purity. You don't have to live up to his rules. You get to swim in his grace. And that is so freeing. Because do you know what it feels like? To not live up to what you think your dad wants you to do? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe with an earthly father, maybe with your heavenly father, you've got that feeling. Your heavenly father, that's not true. My grandmother, we call her Granny, when she was growing up, her father never once told her that he loved her. And she was left-handed. And he hated the fact that she was left-handed. So no matter what she did, she was always under this law of do not use your left hand. She would go to school and she'd get caught using her left hand. And so after a while, he began to tie her left hand behind her back. He was so driven of this law of the no left hand, no left hand, only only right hand, that he drove that into her and never once told her that he loved her. Until one day, he was on his deathbed. Granny was just a young teenager at this point, and They brought her into the room. And he says. Honey, come over here. And she comes near the bed to this man that she doesn't even know how he feels towards her. She's never been able to amount to what. He expected because she was left handed. How is she ever going to overcome that? And as she came near the bed. He said, honey, I just want you to know that I love you. And she found out later that just before she had come into that room, that one of the other relatives had come in and told them about Jesus. And that he had come to faith. And that he in his own self was suddenly recognizing that it wasn't according to God's rules and getting him right that he would be saved. It was because God died for him. He says, I saved you. You just got to believe. And he came to faith. He suddenly was saying, God loves me and I didn't have to earn it. And the immediate reaction was he turned around to this girl he had never told, I love you too who had always driven on her to do the right rules, and she could never get it right. Because he was changed, guess what he was able to do? Extend grace and love. Grace changes you. And the way in which you approach things, right? If my kids were crying out for help, Daddy, I need you. There's a bear after me. They're running for their lives. Would I stop in that moment and say, yeah, but did you go to church this week? 
Would I wait for them to follow the rules before I say, I love you enough to rescue you? No, I would come after them. I'd scoop them up. Why? They're my kids. I'm going to save them. I'm going to bring them to safety. And then I'm going to say, let's go to church together. Let me show you how to live life as a man of God. But you don't need to live this way for me to love you anymore. You need to live this way because God puts these things in motion because he's trying to show us what's actually best and healthy for us. When God brings us into his people, he's done that by his grace and his mercy and so freeing for us. Some of you are so weary and tired of thinking that you have to be good enough for God. Or some of you have thought, man, I'm so sinful, there's no way he will ever love me. You spiritually think you're left-handed. What the Lord wants to say is, you know what? By my grace, I want to save you. And as you come to him, he's going to be working on you to bring you closer and closer to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't work to be saved. You're saved. Then, then go and serve your Lord. And that's when it's really beautiful. In First Peter, Peter says it so well. Peter, at one time, who was a fisherman because he couldn't make the grades at school. He didn't know the law good enough, but the Lord pulled him in as a disciple. And it says this. He goes on and writes this after having talked about how we can't pay for God's love and salvation. We, there's nothing we can do for it. It's all by grace. He says this in First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Remember who God said that to in Exodus 19? Israelites. He means it for the people that he's buying by his grace. He means it for the Christians. You're a priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a chosen people. He says, why has this happened? He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You see, God didn't save you so that you could just follow his rules. You know why he showed you his grace? You know why he showed you his mercy? You know why he showed you how good he was and he actually showed you how filthy you were so you could know the demonstration of his grace. He showed you that and he did that because he says, and now you get to go proclaim the excellencies of God Almighty by showing people grace and showing people mercy and not going making them follow rules, but to say, hey, come look at Jesus. He's been so good to me. I need to tell you how good he is. And that is a life full of joy. That is a life that's just not marching orders. That is a life saying, I just want to demonstrate how good God's been to me. It'll change the way in which you go about life and you'll live free. You'll live free. Doesn't mean you get to go do what you want to do. But it means that as you go about doing what God has asked you to do. It'll bring you joy knowing that it's not based on your merit, whether you get it right today or not. It was all based on Jesus getting it right for you. Now go live free. You fall down, you sin, you get up and acknowledge that before the Lord. The Lord says, repent. You're already forgiven. Just stop what you're doing and go turn towards Jesus. And go share him as you live your life. Go live free. 
Don't be bowed down by this law. The Lord wants you to walk in freedom this morning. Maybe this morning you've never known freedom in Christ. And maybe you've gotten it wrong because everybody in church told you, this is how you do it. Follow these rules. The Scripture says this. Jesus gave Himself for you so that by taking your sin, you'd be set free and you could live for Him. And maybe this morning you want that so badly. I want to be set free. And the Lord says this. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So anything that you've ever done and anything that you will ever do, at the moment you ask God to forgive you, it's gone. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Today you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I've got everybody fooled because I'm not a murderer. I don't have a little idol that I'm sitting here with. But I think the reality is if we were able to look as God looks in the lives of everybody else, we are really gross. We are very sinful people. All of us. But he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As filthy as you are, he will clean you, set you free, and bring you to live with him. So good. So good. So as we close today, maybe today's that day that you just need to say, I'm just going to give my life to Jesus. I want his grace. I want his mercy. I don't need more rules. I need Jesus. Come and give your life to Jesus today, and then he's going to walk with you. He's going to help you to not steal. He's going to help you to not do all the things that you just want to do that get you into trouble. He's going to continue to hone you and to make you look like him, and you'll begin your life with Jesus. As our musicians come up to to help us sing, let's pray this morning. If God's moving in your heart, don't hold yourself back. Don't fear like maybe you're too dirty for God or you haven't got right enough. Just as he's calling you, just come this morning. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your good word that reminds us that it's not by legalism that you save us, us doing enough. Lord, it's by everything that you did. The scripture says when enough. When Jesus said it is finished, he had paid the debt. He did it. And so we trust in that. This morning, Lord, I pray for those who maybe are are having a heart tug, that they might come and just submit their lives to you and say, Father, please forgive me. And I pray that you would come through with the way that you change a heart, you forgive it, and you set free. And it's for that reason that we call upon you to have mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.